Welcome to Level Playing Field, a podcast where a group of longtime friends get together to talk about the world of video games. Today we're talking about the games we've been playing lately. My name is Andrew Kimball, and I am your host. Joining my joining me on this episode, I have Aubrey Kimball. Hi. Real quick, which platform are we downloading the Mac for Blood Beta on? Well, there's crossplay, so whatever, but me and Dylan are on Xbox. I'm assuming Joe is on PC. We can ask him in just a second. Okay. I'm going Xbox. Also also joining us, Joe Summer. Joe, are you I playing Back for Blood on PC? The backstage thing is a, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I tried well, to answer it's... your question, and the only one who heard was Audacity. I was going to say, the podcast peeps will probably hear it, but the video people won't. So let them know. Who? What, what? did you? You. What did you say off off I, camera? I just responded yes to your assumption that I got back for blood on Steam. Yeah, but crossplay supposedly is working, so shouldn't be an issue. In theory. Speaking of Xbox, we've also got Dylan Wren. Hey, people! Especially my Xbox people. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out the group, Caleb Van Ice. It's Dutch. It is Dutch. <laughs> I don't think anybody here understands that reference yet, but they will if they listen to the episode that's going to come out this week, which will be like two weeks old when this comes out. It's really confusing. And for our video listeners, this is extra Dutch. I mean, yeah, for our video viewers, this uh, is extra Dutch. I understand that reference. <laughs> I don't, but it's a Dutch <laughs> angle. angle. Yep. Oh, okay. That's what they call it when you tilt the camera. Supposed to create suspense. Everything or if your Battlefield Earth was shot at a Dutch angle, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the first Thor is also in a Dutch angle for no other reason than it looks neat. I love that movie so Kenneth much. Kenneth Branagh just went, wee! Kenneth Branagh has never met a scene. He's like, this needs more of everything. Well, before we dive into this episode, I just want to ask that if you enjoy <laughs> our show, please tell your friends. It would really mean a lot. Also, go check out our website, levelplayingfieldgaming.com. From there, you can find links to our social media pages and our YouTube channel. Now, I know what about half of us are playing, but there's there's more appearing in the document as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's a... there's quite a list here so Aubrey you haven't put anything you said that you hadn't been playing much so I want to just throw it to you real quick and see you know have you been playing anything we haven't done an episode like this in a while so if you can reach back into your memory banks maybe you've been playing something if not it's fine I'm sure you can jump in on some of the games that the rest of us have been playing yeah my gameplay lately has been pretty much exclusively mobile games and not even like that new Witcher AR game or Anything that really pushes the envelope in terms of video gaming. It's been one of those games that has like a terrible ad campaign that makes no sense and doesn't relate mm. to the game at all called Merge Mansion. It does have a different style of gameplay than the standard just Match gems three. crossing kind of a thing, uh, which is the other game I've been playing, which is Project Makeover, which also has wildly inaccurate advertising. <laughs> And that's been pretty much just it. I'll sit down and I have a quiet 10, 15, 30 minutes to kill and run through it. Keeps, but keeps what are you maybe going to play later on tonight? 
Well, I'm hoping to play a little bit of Back for Blood. And I also got an email from Steam that one of the games I wishlisted did go on sale. So I'm going to pick that up tonight as well. Nice. Let's use that as a transition. Let's talk about kind of the most recent, I guess, big high profile thing that a couple of us have dipped our toes into, and that is Back for Blood. So Joe was kind enough to throw in Discord that if you watch this obnoxious kind of terrible stream for an hour, you'll get a code for the beta to Back for Blood. And so I muted the stream. I left it up when I went to pick my kid up from daycare. And when I came back, I had a code. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I did my HIPAA training and (laughs) had that on in the background and was able to get myself a code in the time that it took to complete my training. And then turns out you get your code plus you get three friend codes. Yeah. So they're pretty generous uh, with what the codes they're throwing out. Mm -hmm. So I was able to, I was able to hop in. I played the first four levels of the first campaign. I'm not sure how much is in the beta. And I played the first level with randoms that were fine. And then I played the rest with bots. And then when Dylan got on, we played the first two levels or just the first one? Uh, I think we I think just was, did the first one. Or no, we did the first two. We did two. Yeah. First two levels with a couple randoms that just kind of sucked. Yeah. They and, they were, well, one of them in particular was just every everything that you imagine about a random person in like a match made lobby, that is that person. <laughs> and it was bad. <laughs> so. Yeah. He, he just would like shoot gas cans and tanks and stuff to make them explode and hurt everybody just for like no reason that kind of stuff yeah i was at one point i was opening like a they have crates in the game that have like these upgrades for your guns and stuff i was opening one he wouldn't open it he just wouldn't he went over and stood by it because it takes you a second after you open it before you can select things so he was just like hovering over it to steal them before i could get them so or yeah, and as soon as as soon as you open it, he just like yeah tries to snatch up everything that he possibly can. But that I guess that's kind of a, a good transition as well into like this game launching it was like this is Left for Dead. There's very like Left for Dead hints in the music, very Left for Dead vibes. You could tell they're marketing this game to that audience. But then as you get as I got into it. They were like, how do we make Left 4 Dead modern, but also worth replaying over and over and over outside of just killing lots of zombies? And so they've taken cues from like Warzone and and other battle royales where you're picking up not just guns, but you're picking up equipment for those guns. You can equip a new scope, a new laser sight, a new clip that holds more ammo, better ammo that does more damage, things like that. You can pick up the same pistol, but this one's purple. So like I picked up a silenced pistol at one point that was literally just one-shotting zombies. So it only had eight bullets, but if I hit them, they died. And so it was, and when I say eight bullets, I mean in the magazine, it it had like 600 rounds that (laughs) this far, but so it's like, it feels like Left 4 Dead, and in some ways, the gameplay feels just as simple as Left 4 Dead, but in other ways, what they've done to expand on that core, I guess, 
is really welcome and really fun and adds a whole bunch of layers. The card system was really cool. I don't know, Dylan, you you only played a couple rounds, but yeah. what did you think? It, I I agree. Like I, I'm looking forward to getting more into this, but we wanted to try it out just to like give everyone a little report on it because by the time we do a like this is I think the the big opportunity we'll have to talk about this and so but yeah it, it was a it was a fun experience overall like it seems like there's a lot of systems in there that could go a little bit more in depth you, like you know I like at the time when we originally played Left for Dead I didn't care that you couldn't aim down the sights like Halo didn't really have aim down the sights at that point either um so it was fine since then aim down sights has become pretty much like standard for me and so being able to aim down the sights is great and the card system seems really cool i haven't really gotten a chance to really like check too much of that out but like every match that you play gets you the ability to like upgrade and get new cards and you build like a little deck and then i think andrew you were saying that like each the campaign is like four or five maps strung together and so each new map that you go to like each safe room that you get to it draws new cards from your deck so like we had one that when you would melee something or melee kill something like it would heal you a little bit there was another that like getting headshots would heal you there were others that were just like you get one extra life and like a little bit of extra health um, so there's a lot of like cool little stuff that could tweak and modify it, but it's drawing from the deck. So it's like randomized too. So every game, like every time you go through the series of maps, like it's going to be different. And then also it's drawing from like the bad guy deck, right? Yeah. And so that's what I was going to say is every time you go into a new round, you get to draw a card from your deck that adds to the modifiers you've been playing with. But it also draws a card for like the level, which so far has seemed like, okay, if you go through this level without triggering birds or without any of your teammates falling down and needing revives or something like that, then you get a like a bonus at the end. None of the cards I've seen so far have been like, okay, you're at half health now or something crazy like that. But I'm sure depending because we're playing on like the standard, like kind of lowest difficulty. Yeah. So I'm sure depending on how you go into the rounds those cards can change drastically too but it's just a lot of cool little systems that they've added on top of just the core gameplay loop of left for dead that make it like okay i used to love playing this game over and over just because it was fun and let's see if we can make it out of the rock concert level but now it's like that core gameplay is fun but now I'm tweaking things and I'm picking up money to buy new cards and I'm picking up attachments for this gun and I'm using the cards that I've acquired to buff me in this way so that I can kind of roll with these, this like setup and you can roll with this setup. And the characters are all slightly class-based too. I didn't notice them really having much effect on what we were doing but like i said it was pretty low difficulty like maybe in the higher difficulties it's more important that like okay you pick this character and i'll pick this character so that we can complement each other in this way but it it just seems like a very natural and modern evolution of left for dead yeah yeah other questions that pop into any of your minds joe aubrey especially because i know you guys haven't gotten a chance to play it 
Um, is there anything, any questions that you have that we could check in, like, try to speak to? Because, right, yeah. Is there a character like Lewis who tells stories that go nowhere? Not Lewis, what was his name? Well, that was, um, uh, you mean Ellis? Ellis. Ellis. So that was one thing I li- like I said to Dylan while we were playing was I hope they make us care about these characters mm-hmm. because in Left for Dead that was a big part for I know most of us where it was like you knew each one of their names you knew which one you wanted to play as that you had the attachment with you knew kind of their backgrounds their stories cuz they had the cool cutscene at the beginning they had their banter you kind of learned bits and pieces about who they were in this beta, they kind of just drop you in. I think it is like the first level, but it's still, yeah. I you as- don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I mm-hmm. assume there will be like a, maybe an intro cutscene, maybe like a a tutorial style mission or something to kind of introduce you a little bit better. But mm-hmm. and you do have a hub, like a hub that you go back to between levels where you there's other survivors, like there's an army general and he's the one that you talk to to actually start missions. And then there's like a couple other people that like, there's a person that you go to, to uh, play like mess with your card deck. And then a person you go to, to buy new cards and stuff like that. So you're in kind of a camp. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit more world building going on, Mm -hmm. but at least what we played in the beta so far, that's not, that's not the point of this beta. So I don't, we don't really know yet mm-hmm. how, like, if we'll yeah. care about these characters at all. Yeah. Like there, there were a few instances, like in one of the safe rooms, it was like some guys kind of like stronghold. And so they were like kind of bantering back and forth. We, we were also trying to not get shot by our crappy teammate. Um, <laughs> so I didn't yeah. get a chance to listen to a bunch of that. It does seem like they, they will have like, it definitely felt like the characters had personality. Not all of them are available to play yet either. So I would. But there are more than Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. I'd ex- There's six or seven, I think, that it, are there at least. And I wouldn't be shocked if they kept kind of like adding as well, adding more. Yeah. Um, but it definitely feels like they're going for a kind of that Left for Dead style of like maybe just some spontaneous conversation during sort of the quieter moments or something there weren't a ton of quiet moments when we played though so (laughs) well in in the beta you're you're in an established like survivor camp and you're going out to kind of clear an area is what it seemed like as opposed to in left for dead where somewhere you don't know what's going on and you're trying to survive and like make it out this seems like further along in the apocalypse and you've found like a group of survivors and now you're kind of on the attack so we'll see that that that's a good question it's something i was concerned about too because I, I i asked dylan that while we were playing or i mentioned that to dylan i was like i, I hope they make us care about these characters yeah because right now i don't mm-hmm. yeah i'm just eager to jump in mm-hmm. i think that's something that's been lost in the last 10 years or just in particular, Valve had a really good moment ten years ago, and it's not something that's been lost. It was just a rare peak of like they can make really distinct, interesting characters with almost nothing besides just like the gameplay. And that's I, I haven't seen anything. Maybe it's just a time and a place thing. Maybe it's like being as young as I was, but just nothing has come close to it. Like you look at Overwatch and like all those characters should be really interesting and like have super strong personalities and like all that kind of stuff. But they kind of don't 
Like they almost feel overproduced. Yeah. And something about Valve back in, you know, 10 years ago, they just, I don't know, they had something. I mean, because that was, you know, Portal, Mm -hmm. Half-Life 2, uh, Left 4 Dead, peak times, you know, so I I agree. There's something about those games from those, like that time period where it's just like, yeah, you are a silent protagonist or you are a actual like character and here are some really good characters to surround you portal 2 is one of the only video games that i think just straight up works as a comedy like that's how good and sharp the writing was where most games that are like funny are like okay yeah no portal 2 is hilarious like just fantastic so that's probably enough about back for blood let's uh Shift gears wildly and ask Joe, what is Dorfromantic? Is that how Dorf- you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah. But okay. As far as I can tell, that's how you say it. It's uh it's worth ten dollars. <laughs> that's right. what I'll say about it going into it. It's worth ten dollars. It's uh Blowing. it's this little indie game that popped up on like some some recommended page on Steam for me like a while ago. Mm-hmm. And it looked interesting. The premise is it's kind of like a city builder. Um, The core gameplay loop is you have a deck of hexes, and each hex is like, uh, it's pretty relatable to like Catan. Like, it's got uh, some buildings on it, it's got some trees on it, it's got some fields on it, it's got water on it or a railroad. And so you put the hexes down together, and your goal is to have the edges of the hexes link up. So if you put, you know, trees on the same edge as trees, like you get points. Um, And some of the tiles will have a goal that's like connect this tree tile to eight other tree tiles. And if you do that, then you'll get like an extra five tokens in your deck. And so you can just, you keep going, you see how many points you can get. You do unlock a couple of like extra tile types, nothing that's like crazy, but it's like, just different uh, types of the same thing. So it's a neat little... I, it's advertised as a, you know, like kind of this interesting take on city building. You know, instead of building the city on top of it, you just build the world. It does look very peaceful. And it is it is very, yeah, peaceful. It's a good, like, I want to play something for 15 minutes before I go to bed kind of a game. Probably Is good. it on Switch? I have no idea. That's what I was going to say. This looks like the perfect <laughs> yeah. like, kind of Switch game. It It is like, you know, I'll play some for 15 minutes, go to bed. But I've played two and a half rounds, and it's kind of quickly starting to, like, wear out for me personally. Because once you've played one round, like, that is the game. Yeah, you're not, the game like, doesn't expanding. ever change. I thought maybe, you know, you would get more tile types or, like, you would want to kind of link stuff up in your world. Like you can see on this little video clip we're playing here, there's like boats and a train going back and forth. And I thought those might like expand out, but no, those are just, you know, visual like candy. Yeah. They're just like, oh, hey, look, we can make a boat go back and forth. So it looks like it has plans to come to Switch, uh, but it is not there yet. So, so I don't know. I mean, you know, I, Spent 10 bucks. I supported an indie creator. Yeah. I'm not, you know, this isn't Hades. No. 
I'm not going to be like everyone should go uh, get this game and, and play it. Well, you supported Ubisoft. Was it a Ubisoft game? Did Apparently, Ubisoft it, it? yeah, wow. it was published by Ubisoft. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that they would list it at ten bucks. Yeah, uh, Ubisoft has like Ubisoft and EA. You know, they get a bad rap, but they do in, like pretty good indies. Both of those companies, they have decent indie offerings. But yeah, it looks like I think when that hits Switch, I'll try it out. I don't, I don't yeah. want to sit in front of my PC and play it, but I think that if it was on my Switch and I like, I literally could play it ten minutes before going to sleep. Looks like a nice kind of chill out Zen kind of game. Yeah, like it. It reminds me. Did you guys? Did anyone ever play like Mini Metro or something like that? I think is the name of it. Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. It kind of vibe of similar that. to that, but even less puzzly. Like. Yeah. I think Mini Metro at least is a little more of a like, oh, here's the puzzle and. This so far, it's just been kind of a like, just fling down tiles. It'll work itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like the idea of. It's a little more casual, I guess. A little simpler. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. That seemed good. Good spotlight on a little Ubisoft gem there, Joe. Caleb. Hello. So looking at your list, we all know you've been on a Resident Evil kick. You've mentioned that multiple times before. Yes. Have you've I mentioned recent- it on the podcast, though? Like, talked about them? I know you've talked about two. <laughs> okay. I know you, that you've mentioned You did two four. remake last time. Okay. I think so you've were- played four as well now. Have you yes, beaten that? I have. So where do you go from here? Uh, I'm going to play Resident Evil 1 remake with its old fixed camera f- tank control fun. Although four actually has tank controls, I did not realize that until I started playing it. But yeah, uh, it it's over the shoulder, but it still has the tank control. So that took a little bit of getting used to, but I still really dug it. And then I also bought the remake of three because it was on sale a couple weeks ago. Mm. And at this point, you know, I started this whole thing <laughs> as a joke, like ha ha, the tall vampire lady game. I'll give that a shot. And now it's like mm, weirdly obsessed with the Resident Evil series. So <laughs> yeah. So are you going to play like five and six and revelations and all the kind of nah, I think I'm gonna stick lesser games? I, I think I'll stick. Part of the reason I feel comfortable skipping five and six and f- is that five and six not only are usually considered to be pretty bad, like they're the only ones that are considered to be actually those kind of suck. Um, yeah. But also their main focal point as a for a character perspective is Chris Redfield, who Capcom keeps trying to insist as like the protagonist of the series, but I'm like, it's Leon or Jill. I don't, I don't know where, you, I don't know why you think the square block of a human is our main character, mm-hmm. but okay. Um, so I feel, I feel better skipping those, but no, I am, I really enjoyed four. Uh, I think my favorite of the series of what I've played so far is still either two or village. I kind of like the more creepy, sincere dread feeling. But Forrest's hilarious 80s B-movie kind of schlock is very charming. Mm. And there's actually some really, like, there's some genuinely funny bits. There's still a good amount of, like, tense sequences. There's a lot of, like, really clever gameplay design decisions. Uh, There's some some good stuff there, even if I think overall the horror stuff is my favorite. As somebody who's played for in the year of our Lord 2021... Mm -hmm. Do you want a remake of that similar to two and three? I do, if only because now I've played one. It it would be one that I have played and would therefore have opinions on a remake. I'd be interested mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. 
what they would change, what they would keep, how they would tackle certain areas. I, I, it, four is still going to have the same sort of. If you're not used to playing older games, it's going to be rough to come on to. Four is also the most famous one in the series, and so of course they're going to milk that one for a big budget remake. Like two and four were always the big popular ones, and so they're going to they want a remake of four. And I've heard. R- off and on they've been working on it it's just a matter of getting it right but it'll i'll take it like the second it comes out that one i might buy full price like two and three remakes i bought on sale because i i enjoyed eight on a lark and so i'm like i'll give these a four remake i might buy the day it comes out just because now i have an opinion and i'm like i'm interested to see how a modern spin on this uh turns out yeah and just like like you said just modernizing it a little bit like the controls in four currently are still old uh, and so just even like little improvements like that. Yeah, the way you shoot in that game is mm-hmm. well, like yeah, I've interesting. I got used to it. It takes a minute of getting used to, uh, but I got used to it and I kind of dug it. But yeah, I wouldn't mind if you're going for I'm new to the series. I just kind of want to play the story. Uh, playing two, three and then four would all having similar controls would be neat. You know, that would that would be a nice little change of change of pace. But yeah, no, it's it it was one thing. I didn't realize that it was basically like not the first third person shooter, but one of the first like third person shooters. And I'm like, that makes a lot more sense why it's doing some of this stuff that I'm like, no one does this. It's like, well, we were making it up as we went. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's sometimes when you remember that kind of like, you know, I, I know Tom is playing through Halo right now. The or I guess he played through the original Halo, but it's kind of like play playing through it now feels weird sometimes but it's also like this was like one of the first first person shooters on console like yeah. if you remember that it's like oh okay <laughs> like that makes sense it also uh remembering that it's basically like the first big third person shooter made a lot of segments i'm like oh okay so basically this is what people like naughty dog played and went okay we got to do something like this in our games because there's a lot of like big silly set pieces of specific like all right this is the part where you're on mine carts and you have to fight zombies as they attack you on the mine cart or whatnot although it's not zombies in that game and that caught me off guard at first because it's genuinely spooky when like just random villagers start marching toward you like they're not zombies though. What's going on? Is something what am I, no. And then when you find out what it actually is, it's worse. Yep. It's so much yep. worse. Well, the the game on your list that I really want to hear what you think about is Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I know you've like teased that you've been playing it, but how how far have you gotten and what do you think of it? I am about a little less than three quarters of the way through the game. Uh I had I just went on vacation and I weirdly enough, even though it's the Switch. Did not take that on my vacation uh, because my brother was using it uh, for his... He had an internship at the time where he had to watch some kids, and so he bought Mario Kart and had them play that, so I didn't want to take the Switch with me. Right. But I spent a good amount of time playing through that game, really dug it. I started... I owned the original Link's Awakening back when the 3DS had, you know, a Game Boy Virtual Console. I picked up a copy there. Because there were a bunch of Game Boy games. I owned a Game Boy. I still own a Game Boy. My original Game Boy still functions. I can still boot up Kirby's Dream Land 2 on it. But there were a bunch of Game Boy games I never had, including the original Link's Awakening. So when the 3DS had its virtual console, I picked it up. Never got very far in it. Didn't didn't do great. Same thing with um, 
I bought Pokemon Blue, and neither of those did I make much progress in. I'm old Game Boy games are hard, but true. I love, love, love the art style. Uh, it's incredibly charming. It looks like they're just like little plastic little people. I, I, I they put so much work into making this little diorama esque uh, world. Also, Link's Awakening. Once you actually get into it. One of the kind of more interesting and sad Zelda stories there is. It it at first doesn't look like it has much of a story because it's the Game Boy one. It's supposed to be like kind of a light disposable thing, but it's a game about how it's a light disposable thing and how that has major consequences for everyone involved. It's it's I I like it a good bit. It's got a nice somber tone. The puzzle solving is really good. There's some really clever stuff in there. It is also a lot of people forget this the game that invented a lot of the common Zelda tropes that we'd come to know through like Ocarina and Twilight Princess and all of that, they started here. So there's a lot of like, okay, you're in a dungeon, you play through the dungeon, halfway into the dungeon, you get an item, that item is what you need to get through the rest of the dungeon. That all started here. And so yeah, the level design's really good. The world's really good. The It's the first Zelda game that, again, because it started a whole bunch of stuff we now take for granted, it was the first Zelda game to go, hang on, between the dungeons, you actually get to get to know the characters and the world and kind of bond with people and see these people's stories. And it's got a very charming, because of what the plot of the game is, it's got a very charming and surreal version of a Zelda game. Like there's some stuff in there they don't put in most Zelda games, up to and including my favorite, which is where I found a house surrounded by pajam- uh, bananas. and. I walk in and there is an alligator in a cowboy hat, like a talking alligator in a cowboy hat. And he's like, yeah, my brother's an artist, but I went to the far more sensible field of collecting canned goods. It's just this weird, <laughs> surreal, like what on earth is happening here? He's like, yeah, I run a banana hut, so I collect canned goods. My brother's an artist, so you could say we're all a little bit weird in my family. I'm like, I don't know what to do with any of this. <laughs> um, but There's also Mario. Yeah. Like- characters and there's stuff actually make cameos there's actually a bunch of like obs- super obscure nintendo characters who make like uh the professor guy from sim city yeah no there's goombas and in the original game they had little evil kirby's right there's just a whole bunch of like tiny nintendo nuggets if you're a nintendo hardcore fan of especially their obscure stuff from the 80s little things in there and once you've played the game that's not by accident there's like a it makes sense in context, sort of, but it's very charming. I have, I dug, I dig it a lot. Like it was, it's one of the last Zelda games I haven't played. Like a lot of my one Zelda blind spot, I own almost every Zelda game, but my one blind spot in terms of ones I've played from beginning to end are the handheld games. Uh, I played a good chunk of Minish Cap, but never finished it. But other than that, not too super familiar. And this one's really good. I'm glad, I'm glad they remade it the way they did. And I've been enjoying it a lot so far. So I'm looking forward to finishing it up and, you know, finally crossing that one off my list. Yeah, I I played a bunch of it. And then towards the end, I think I'm in like the last third, probably. I just kind of fell off for something else and haven't gone back to. But watching this gameplay and hearing you talk about it, I'm like, man, I should I should go back and wrap that one up. It, it It's fun. It's definitely still it looks like saying it looks like a modern game, you know, it looks like it's been made <laughs> recently, but it still definitely plays very classic. So 
there are some points where I was like beating my head against a wall and was like, all right, screw it. And I looked, looked it up and it's like, okay, you have to go to this person, talk to this thing and then move this thing over here. And that opens the path to where you're supposed to go. And it's like, oh, yep. I never would have figured that out. That is, there are, there's one thing that makes it better than the Game Boy version, which is that it has more buttons. In the Game Boy version, you had two buttons. Yes. And they, I mean, you chose whether or not you wanted to equip your shield or another item. Like that's, you you were hosed. So it does a good job of letting you have a little bit more options. The thing that is a weird holdover that a lot of Zelda games haven't kept, and I'm not mad about that, is the fact that even the overworld is constant puzzle solving. Like you're not, there's no break between the dungeons. The dungeons are specific and they're different and they're kind of set apart, but the overworld itself is still a puzzle of like, how do I get from point A to point B? There was one long stretch of time where, similar to you, I was banging my head against the ground because I knew exactly where I had to go. Like, it's like, you need to go to the desert. I'm like, cool. I know where on the map that is because even when the map's obscured, it has like little markings that are like, if you pay attention, like, hey, look, there are cactus and desert squiggly lines covering this obscured part of the map. I bet the desert's right there. (laughs) Could not figure out how to get there until I was just screwing around in any place where it might be cut a random bush just because I'm trying everything. And that unveiled a secret passageway that let me go underground to a tunnel that led me to the place I needed to go. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the last game you have is Dragon Quest Eleven. Yep. 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 Some listeners may remember this was supposed to be before it got derailed by Resident Evil, my year of RPGs. And so I picked up Dragon Quest Eleven a while ago on sale. And then it, a few weeks ago, me, my brother and sister were talking about what we should play together. We usually have a game that at least two of us play together. Like uh, I went through the Batman Arkham games with my sister. My brother went through Final Fantasy VII with her. We've done that sort of thing for years. It's just like, we'll pick a game and we'll all basically be there and make decisions and watch it unfold and take, you know, we might take turns playing or we might just have one person play and the other two just sort of give input or talk about what we need to do or whatnot. Uh, and so our current game for that is Dragon Quest Eleven, and I that game rules so far. It's got a great... I mean, Dragon Quest has not really changed much since its inception. It is the quintessential JRPG to, like, a fault. If you don't like JRPGs, you will not... You will probably not like Dragon Quest Eleven because it just is that. There is no apology for it. There is no... There's mild attempts to modernize it, but there... Attempts to modernize it as long as it still has the same framework and soul of a classic 90s Super Nintendo era JRPG. Like, it's just that. But it has beautiful visuals. It's a fun Saturday morning cartoon kind of story. The music is gorgeous. Uh, the version, we're playing the Definitive Edition, and it's for two reasons. One is they reorchestrated the original Dragon Quest Eleven had like a synthesized score like they had they worked with the budget they had a couple songs were like full orchestra but they couldn't afford a full orchestra for the whole but with the definitive edition they hired the orchestra for the full score and so the entire score is just beautiful now it already had great compositions but now like the music itself is just played fantastically and the other the other weird addition which we have not screwed around with because we just want to experience the game on its own terms is that you can play the entirety of the game in like a super nintendo 16-bit 2d art style (laughs) which is just like a weird 
feature, but I kind of respect it. But yeah, so far, it's been really great. Uh, the characters are really, you know, it keeps that 90s RPG feel. The Dragon Quest series has always had a silent protagonist. Uh, you know, he might, you get to name him, and he has, he is the person the plot f- centers around, but like, you're making his choices. It's the other characters where you get kind of that flavor and character development from. And uh, Dragon Ball fans should note that the series has always had art done by uh, Akira Toyama, who did the, the Dragon Ball manga. So if some of those designs are like, that guy looks like he could just fit in right alongside some like Vegeta and Goku. Yes, yes, he could. He The man, very talented. He drew like three face designs and that was it. But Thus far, we haven't gotten super far into it because it's a JRPG and it's huge. And it is also a game we only play when all three of us can sit down for a couple hours to sink into it. But so far, really good, uh, wonderful world. Great as a first exposure. I've dabbled in some Dragon Quest stuff, but I've never played, sat down and played one of the games before. Great introduction to like that series. My brother then turned around because he got sick of waiting for us. And you just need to burn through something. <laughs> he turned around and bought. He's played and beaten Dragon Quest five years ago. Uh, he turned around and bought for the Switch. They have Dragon Quest one and two and three available on like the ports for Switch. He bought Dragon Quest one and two and has already beaten Dragon Quest one. Like he did it in like two days because <laughs> he was like, this isn't very long and it's kind of fun. It's kind of charming if you could get into the old RPG wavelength. So <laughs> Alex, he's a madman. I he he just he does what he does. But uh speaking of monsters that are maybe charming, I don't know. Dylan, you've been playing some Monster Hunter games. I I have. I have. So, kind of in, in keeping with, you know, the JRPG uh side of things, I've been putting a lot of time into Monster Hunter stories, which is kind of like if Pokémon didn't have like, I mean, do you want to to play as the like you are a person who captures a electric rodent and has it fight other monsters or do you want to play as a person who captures an electric rodent and has it fight other monsters so there's a there's a instead of you know capturing pokemon and stuff you are capturing monsters from the monster hunter series and you kind of run around these kind of big open zones and you can get into fights with the monsters kind of roaming there. There are dens that you can explore that have, you know, are a little bit more confined and have different monsters in them. You're, you know, going through the story, which, you know, is is a typical monster hunter story of like, oh, what's going on? There's, you know, something's going on with these monsters. It couldn't be <laughs> possibly a uh, an elder dragon or whatever. You know, each monster that you fight and defeat drops parts that you can then use to build new armor and new weapons. Um, and then additionally, usually you can capture that or find that monster in an egg and hatch it and have it as part of your own. Um, and all of them have like a super move that is anime levels of crazy, you know, they fly in and launch a massive fireball that goes off and has like a nuclear level explosion um, that happens and, damages the other monster so it's it's been fun though i do want to point out that dylan you've put in what probably like a hundred hours into this game at this point at at least um (laughs) it's i mean it's (laughs) since it came out in like late june early july it's pretty much been the only game that i played so 
It's I think the main story is maybe like 30, 40 hours, but then there's, you know, kind of the typical to Monster Hunter, you know, you defeat the the big main threat and then it's like, oh, but maybe something else is going on here. And there's another like 10 to 15 hours of figuring that out. Um, and I haven't quite gotten there yet because, you know, it's also kind of, again, like a Pokemon game. And so I've been going around and collecting, you know, you trying to fill out the, they have a like Monsterpedia, not a Pokedex in this. And so, you know, trying to find all of the different monsters and collect them all for lack of a better <laughs> phrasing on that. Do you get to create your character? Because we're watching gameplay from Fighting Cowboys YouTube channel, and I'm wondering, is he playing like the standard protagonist, or do you get to customize your character? Uh, you get to customize them up to an extent. This is, you know, once you have killed maybe like three monsters, you'll never really see your character's face again unless you just really want to. Um, gotcha. Because you'll be wearing the 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 dead skin of uh, another monster um, <laughs> over yourself. So, but it's, it, it's been fun. It functions on kind of like a simpler, like rock, paper, scissors style of things. You've got like three different moves. Each monster has like a tendency towards what it'll, what kind of moves it'll do. And so you have to like, kind of learn and strategize and so it's like oh this one's going to do a speed attack so i'm going to do a technical attack so that i can win and take less damage and do more damage to it but it's it's been a fun little you know it's it's on the switch so i think it's switch and pc but i've been playing it on the switch and so it's a nice little you know like game that you can play in bed you can take with you you know it, it's not a it, it's it it does a lot of quality of life things too like Caleb as you were talking about Dragon Quest you know i don't i don't know Dragon Quest enough to know if they do something like this but like once you get to a certain level in Monster Hunter stories it's like okay you could easily defeat any monster in this zone so if you just want to like quick finish it to get their you know like the monster parts their loot um and maybe level up some like monsters you can do that so you don't have to fight if you don't want to once you get past a certain level. And that way it it streamlines a lot of it. So it's like, oh, okay. Like if I'd like to fight this or I'm trying to like each monster to catch it, you have to like you can increase you can you can go into dens and just randomly get one, but you can also make certain like a, a monster that you're trying to get retreat by fulfilling certain conditions within the battle. So, if, you know, you're trying to do that. You don't quit. You don't skip the uh, the fight there. But if you're just trying to like run through the zone and you accidentally get into a fight with like a bunch of level two enemies, it's like, all right, I don't have to like go through three turns of selecting moves. I can just hit left bumper and right bumper and finish you know so it's it's nice you know it's it's they just had a new update yesterday that brought in three more monsters that you can fight um so it they you know they're doing the typical capcom support of monster hunter where they're you know they've got a roadmap for the next i think like four or five months of like here's you know every month or you know few weeks we're gonna bring in some new quests some new monsters some new stuff to get so that's been cool I'm trying to think is there other questions is there anything in particular anyone is wondering about the game if i don't like pokemon 
would I like this game? Potentially. It depends on what you don't like about Pokemon. You know, I guess probably just the aesthetic and the simple, mm-hmm. how simple it is. Yeah. Like the, the aesthetic piece, I personally like Monster Hunter stories better aesthetically than Pokemon, you know, cause like your, your character is in armor, has a big sword, has, you know, like a, a dragon that is with him. But simplicity wise, like, I mean, it is still a fairly basic RPG. You know, it's it's not going to be maybe as complicated as uh, Final Fantasy VII or something like that. But there's, there's sometimes there's nice parts of that as well. So, yeah. Cool. And then the the other game that you put on here that I'm really curious to hear about is Dead by Daylight. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's been one that's been on my list to play. Has anyone else ever played it? Aubrey, I'm assuming you've probably watched people play it. Like yes. Jacksepticeye or yeah, somebody. Uh, Jacksepticeye, <laughs> it's having a moment on Twitch, a handful of people that I've followed. I can't, I work a lot, so I don't ever have time to watch streams. But yeah, uh, Markiplier and his friends played it and it looked pretty goofy. Yeah, like it, it's a it's an interesting little. Uh, like I'd seen some people stream it. I know we had Erica on at some point, um, and she was talking about it. And it always seemed like an interesting kind of cool game. And I was just looking through Game Pass and realized that like, oh, it's on Game Pass. And then I had uh, my buddy Bo was like, hey, like I've been getting into this. You should try it. Um, so I downloaded it, um, and gave it a shot. And it's it's pretty fun you know like each match it's four survivors against one killer so it's like an asymmetrical sort of sort of game the survivors are trying to turn on like five generators and then escape out of a gate the killer is trying to kill them um, which he does by hitting them and then putting them on a hook so to do anything as the survivors you kind of walk up to stuff and then there are like these random skill checks that'll happen where you have to like hit left bumper or space bar or whatever it is and then as the killer you're in first person the survivors are all in third person so like your your field of view is a little bit more limited it's surprising like when i initially had watched it i kind of assumed that the like killer was just going to be this like big overpowered like how did the survivors ever win sort of situation but it's surprisingly like you know not to be fair like sometimes maybe i'm just bad as a killer or playing with people who are really good as survivors or something like that but it seems fairly balanced you know like well and also to be fair this game is how old i'm sure they've tweaked the balancing quite Mm -hmm. a bit since it first came out that's true it's it's got to be at least four or five years old minimum but like you start like as the killer you might kill like one maybe two people a match regularly Uh, but for the most part like the survivors are gonna get out Mm -hmm. and so really to me, it seems like your job as the killer is just to make it like tense and like challenging for the survivors to have fun, you know, and then you're having fun because like you're getting to be like this big powerhouse that they can't really do. Like as a survivor, you have real no real recourse. You you kind of just, just run away. Run. And so they have a bunch of different killers in the game. They have a bunch that like they created, but then they've also got like Michael Myers and Freddy and freddy krueger and like the demi gorgon from stranger things and all that kind of stuff too so it's it's kind of cool 
Um, There's been some pretty solid pop crossover. I think recently mm-hmm. they added uh, Leon Kennedy. You can play as him as mm-hmm. one of the heroes. Yeah, they they just did a Resident Evil crossover with Leon, Jill, and um, I think Nemesis. or Claire. And so it's on Game Pass. It's free if you have Game Pass. So like it plays well on console. Uh, it, yeah, I've been playing on a just regular base xbox um because i'm on vacation i didn't bring my my big series x with me but it plays well on on the base xbox and if you have like a series x i'm sure it runs even smooth but yeah like it's one that um i feel like it would be more fun with like a group of people but also like shockingly too like so you can queue up as a survivor or as a a killer which would you think would be the harder cue to like get a game in? Killer. Uh, killer, yeah. See, that's what I thought as well. But I'm waiting like several minutes for a game to pop as a survivor. But if I queue hmm. up as a killer, it's like an instantaneous thing. So like even though I haven't been playing like I think it would be more fun with a group of people. I've been playing mostly as like the solo killer and just have enough fun little time with that too. So it's worth checking out. Those of you with Game Pass should download it, and we should play it at some point. So, Tom, you can be the killer, so that we we all know that you're a big <laughs> baby. I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever I got to do. I mean, if it's just us, I think mm-hmm. it'd be fun. And yeah. honestly, even if it wasn't just us, like this game, it's a scary like backdrop, I guess, like a horror backdrop. But the game is silly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it can't be that scary. It's not very scripted. You know, a lot of horror games mm-hmm. are scary because of those scripted moments. Mm-hmm. This game, there's a player controlling the bad guy. So, yeah, it's a lot more tense than like scary, I would say. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, but I don't know. Joe, have you ever played it? Has that been one that's come across no. your like Discord groups? So, yeah, but it's worth checking out. It's free. I think it's free on Game Pass Ultimate, like on PC as well. But yeah, I'm surprised they still charge for it. Like, I I, I feel like at this point, they probably would have gone to like a... Like, I think normally it is like 30 bucks if you wanted to just buy it outright. But it's it 20 on like Steam. 20 on Steam. Yeah. It seems like one that they'll eventually go to like a free to play model if it continues, um, where you just like mm. purchase the new heroes or the new killers yeah. as they come out. Um, it that does have cross platform uh, play and progression as well. So that's cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm going to round this out. I'm going to close it down. I have a list. I'm going to go down my list. And if anybody has questions about those games, <laughs> They could shoot them to me and I will elaborate. But beyond that, I'll just run down the list and we'll wrap this topic up. So I have beaten Dark Souls 2 and Mortal Shell. Good for you. I Thank you. I have restarted Sekiro and I've gotten about to where I was before on my last playthrough. But whereas my last playthrough took me like a month, I've gotten there in like three days. I've got a much better grasp on that game now. Still... Still tough, still knocking me down a few pegs here and there, but like I beat the raging bull or flaming bull or whatever that boss is in my first try. I beat some mini bosses that gave me trouble last time in like my first or second try. So I definitely feel a lot more confident this time around. I'm playing Skyward Sword on the Switch 
and I did one flight in Microsoft Flight Simulator. <laughs> Where'd you go? I left the Gulfport Airport and I looked for my house and I crashed somewhere south of my house into Lil somewhere because <laughs> I didn't I didn't play like I didn't play any tutorials, I didn't do anything. I just took off, found the highway, followed the highway, took my exit, and then once I got off on my exit, realized that these planes don't turn as sharp as I need them to and found some trees and crashed and was like, well, that was fun. This game is really cool, but I don't have the like desire or time to like actually learn how to play it correctly and like become a pilot. <laughs> but I really appreciate what they did with it because it's so trippy to be like flying down in a video game, flying down our highway, looking and being like, oh, that's, you know, that's that gas station I recognize. And that's that. And when you're that low to the ground, it does look a little blocky and a little whatever, but it's like, it's pretty accurate. And so that, that was cool. It was, it was a fun little exercise, but I didn't, I'm not going to be like applying for my pilot's license or anything anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. And you were playing it on the series X, right? I did. Yeah. I downloaded it on the series X, took up a bunch of space on my hard drive. One of the reasons that I removed it because I was like, I'm not actually going to be dedicated to this and I need this space for other games, but it's a hefty it, boy. Yeah, yeah, it ran well. It looked really nice. It played well. It loaded quickly. Really awesome, like showpiece for the console and for Microsoft, but just not you know necessarily my cup of tea as far as gameplay. Yeah, like it's it it does seem like a very cool, interesting game. But yeah, I think you and I were talking about it the other night of just like yeah, I don't I don't know that that would ever be what i would want to spend like it's it's kind of like you you know download it fly around for like an, an evening do a couple of flights or something and then be like all right i've got the idea i think i was telling you i was like if i'm gonna play a flight sim i'll probably just play elite dangerous not yeah flight sim you know uh, but it, it is cool that the, it they got it working on a traditionally like pc game like high-end pc game working on a a series x smoothly you know yeah and it and it's not it's not that intense to run it is that intense if you want to like turn all the knobs on it and max everything out but if you just want to like have a you know playable experience it's fine yeah had the uh had the controls feel because that's always like my pickiness with anything that's having me fly is like I I know what I like as my setup, and if it doesn't do that, I immediately am like, how can I change this? <laughs> yeah, it felt fine. I would try to pull up, and it would beep at me. I'd try to go down, it would beep at me. I'd try to turn, and I'd all of a sudden be like, you know, almost change 90 degrees and like going down, and then I'd try to pull up, and it was very sluggish, and it's just, it's a very simmy. So like the the controls make sense and felt fine. They felt good. But there is a lot of like, okay, if you press the, what used to be select or may, or maybe it's like, le- no select. Yeah. I don't know what they call it on the series X controller now, but you press that it opens like another menu that le- like your plane kind of goes on autopilot while you're in that menu. Cause then you can like tweak stuff in that menu. Like there's just a lot. And when you're in first person and you're looking throughout your cockpit, like you can look at this thing and like 
press A on this dial or press A on this thing and it does something. It's very much just very much a sim, very much why I like Forza Horizon over motorsport because I like to just go fast, you know. I like flying in Grand Theft Auto. But in this in this game, like like I said, when I was following the highway, I got to the highway, I was doing great. As soon as I tried to like turn off and like look for my house, yeah. It was like, oh God, I don't know what's going on and I crashed. But that yeah. wasn't because of the controls, that was because I didn't do any tutorials or anything like that. Like it felt it felt good. Yeah. It just it felt very simmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah, I'd be I I would be down if they were to add like a a a horizon type of mode where it's like it's still flight sim, but we're gonna like arcadeify it just a bit. Yeah. It does have it does like have toggles of like simminess. Like I was on a simpler version like I was on a simpler handling I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but basically it was a little more arcadey how I was playing versus how it could have been. But then also, you know, you can just straight up plug a mouse and keyboard into your Series X or plug a flight stick into your Series X if you want the full sim experience. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just figured it's free on Game Pass. It's like this big talking piece. I, I should at least try it. And yeah. so I tried it and it, I was like, there's no way they have the Gulfport airport. Yeah, they do. Huh. And they have like all the, they have Home Depot and all that <laughs> other stuff like right there when you take off. And it's like, damn, this is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a weird thing to do in a video game is to see like my community. <laughs> now I kind of just want like a, a Forza Horizon style microsoft flight sim where it's just like you can drive through use google maps and it's yeah. just like now you're gonna drive through you know street race out in like gulfport you know <laughs> what's weird is that in real life i'd be like oh i don't want to drive from my house to like jackson but in like a video game it'd be like i'm gonna go drive to jackson for my house just to see what it's like yeah. in a video game <laughs> but in a but in a video game you can be like i'm gonna hop in my corvette and drive a hundred miles per hour to Jackson versus real life, where it's like I'm going to get in my affordable used car and I'm going to go to the speed <laughs> limit to Jackson. I'm gonna look out for that speed trap right before Wiggins. Exactly. Oh yeah, no, that one sucks. <laughs> I've been I've been pulled over by that very one. Yeah, Microsoft Flight Simulator is like uh, Google Earth, mm. but. Into playing challenging yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that that's what i've been up to lately those are my games are you having fun with sekiro would you say you were having fun or is it just less bad less annoying i am having frustrating fun. it's so being able to defeat enemies and bosses in that game especially on like your first or second try is extremely satisfying and being able like one of the things i really struggled with the first time around trying to play that game was the makiri counter the like spear counter and i watched some youtube videos where this guy was basically like all right if you see the prompt push forward like run into the enemy and press b or circle or whatever it is and ever since like that tip has helped me so much that i've been like 85% of the time probably nailing those counters <laughs> and it makes the game so much more fun like I basically what I did was 
I went and I watched a few YouTube videos on like combat basics, which I did the last time around too, but this time something just clicked. I think I found a particular YouTube channel where this guy like kind of broke it down. Basically, he said you go in and you just spam attack, which is not what you're used to in other Souls games. Like you want to be more defensive in other Souls games. But in this, you have no stamina meter and you have a lot more speed and like it's you're it's designed to be aggressive. And so you go in, you just spam attack, and as soon as the enemy deflects you, not blocks, but as soon as they do a deflection where you get the sparks and you get like the deflection sound effect, you go on the defensive and you start either, like he was saying as a beginner, just start spamming deflect. Once you get better at it, try to actually time it. But you try like spam that deflection to get your deflection back because when they deflect you, it means they're getting ready to attack. And then once you deflect them, you can go back in and be super aggressive again. And that kind of rhythm, that back and forth, allows you to build up their posture meter relatively quickly. Like, there have been some of those mini bosses that just destroyed me because I was trying to dodge and duck and roll like you do in Bloodborne and Dark Souls. But when I went in and I just, like, spammed the crap out of them and then just blocked or deflected when they attacked me, I killed them. One of them I posted to our Instagram, but I just, I killed him in like less than a minute. And it's just retraining your, your brain and your muscle memory to play extremely aggressively, like throw caution to the wind, essentially, which was interesting right after playing Dark Souls 2. Yeah. (laughs) Because that game is a lot of like circling your opponent and trying to stab them in the back. Yes. So what I'm hearing is Sekiro is the FromSoft game for me. It is a rhythm game. If you can find the rhythm, if you can get into the rhythm of Sekiro, yes. I I don't think that there is a FromSoft game for you. I, I don't think, think it so. Well, there's going to be one. But yes. To be fair, you would have a lot less to unlearn than Andrew, Joe, and I for that game. That's so. another thing. Like, I feel like FromSoft made Sekiro to troll Dark Souls players because it is literally the, like, in almost every single way, the opposite of what you did in those games. You can be stealthy, you can sneak attack, you can, like, run nonstop. You have no stamina. You can slingshot yourself to the roofs of buildings. You can run away and enemies will reset their patterns. You can just go in aggressively and deflect the crap out of everything. You get rewarded for aggressive behavior versus in Dark Souls. In Bloodborne, you slightly got rewarded for aggressive behavior, but not this aggressive. From Yeah, from what I heard about Sekiro, like when it came out, a lot of the discussion from Dark Souls fans was it was the easiest FromSoft game to get into because it played so differently and it kind of like was closer to how people expect action games to usually play as opposed to Dark Souls really cautious. Yeah, and it has a much more cohesive story, yeah. too. Mm. But, like, while it was a great entry, like, uh, no one's played a FromSoft game before. Start with Sekiro. It's very, like, oh, okay. Uh, for Dark Souls fans, it was basically a giant middle finger. So you're like, all right, so I wait for my chance to attack, right? And it's like, no, you just died. You're dead now. Um, what you need to do is be as aggressive as possible and be ready to use a counter system. And Dark Souls fit players are like, huh? And they also taunt you with like, you get an extra life in Sekiro. You get like, there's just so many little mechanics and quality of life things. Like the checkpoints are so much closer together in that game. Like there's just, 
there's so many things that make it seem like it would be, yeah, like the easiest FromSoft game. But the combat system really is like a dance that you have to learn. And if you can't learn it, it's an impossible game. And if you can figure it out, it's really satisfying. And I'm somewhere in between those two right now. Like I I was trying to fight a mini boss earlier today and he killed me like three times. And I was like, all right, I'm getting frustrated. But this is the first one that's really checked me too. Like up to this point, I've run through a lot of the content that that I really struggled with before. So a little give and take there. Yeah. Yeah. Would you recommend this game or Ghost of Tsushima? To who? To general people, to anybody. Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima is just like a video game, ass video game, open world. Like the combat is kind of like a twist on the Arkham stuff, but it's not much more complicated than that. But like, and it has a very easy to follow tugs at your heartstrings at the end story. It has a lot of great side content. It's kind of like, it felt like a blend between the Witcher three and red dead two, but a little bit more simplified and a little bit more like video gamey than both of those games. So yeah, just like for sheer accessibility and the fact that that game is just gorgeous in its art style. Like, yeah, I guess I'm just thinking, you know, like, if if the thing drawing you to Sekiro is the aesthetic, you know, um, then it sounds like maybe Ghost of Tsushima is a more approachable, a better version of what you're looking for there. On the one hand, yeah, yes. No. On the other hand, Ghost of Tsushima is much more based in kind of a heightened reality, whereas Sekiro is very much like fantasy, snake, giant snake, monkey with a sword, like that kind of like over the topness. So yeah. Ghost is all Ghost for lack of a better term, Ghost is just a beautiful like oil painting of a game. While Sekiro is a little bit more gritty, but uh I I will agree with you on the general term that like if you're just in a game for the aesthetics, Ghost is probably more what you're looking for. But they're just different and aesthetics. If you're just, yeah. yeah, and if you're just like a like a normal kind of normal just like a more general casual kind of gamer like if you've played the batman games if you've played assassin's creed you know a a rockstar game ghost is going to feel a lot more natural to you although i will say its combat is unique in a couple ways but i really dig what ghost did with its combat combat with the stance thing like with the stance changes yeah that's some good stuff like i said it's it's like an evolution of the arkham combat to me is what it feels like and in a really cool way i can buy that all right well are we ready to move on to a closing game for this episode yes all right well let's do it Joe, I hope you have something awesome for us tonight. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. I have a amusing bit for us tonight. <laughs> because I was in the middle of prepping our game and got completely distracted um, and figured that this would just be a fun activity instead of trying to shoehorn a game into it. Maybe don't explain their rules yet. 
No, well, there are no rules. Oh, okay. um, so I That's was what look- I like to hear. In, in the vein of, um, you know, how we like to go and look at, uh, you know, Metacritic, OpenCritic, IMDb. Like, we yes. use those kinds of sites to help us build our games. Mm-hmm. Well, I was looking around and I pulled up two websites. I pulled up Common Sense Media and oh. focused on the families plugged in. Oh, oh God. boy. Which, for those who, <laughs> if you're not familiar, um, <laughs> these are the like websites your parents would go to when you were 13 and you would ask them for a T rated game or an M rated game. Or to see an R rated movie. Specifically, as a homeschooled Christian kid, yeah. yes, which would yeah. encompass like, Caleb. See, Caleb us. was like the only one who probably actually asked his parents to go see an R-rated movie. <laughs> like the rest of us are either like the parent showed us the movie, or we just knew the answer was no. <laughs> yep, there, there was no like, well, maybe I can you know push it, but I anyways, so bargained for Alien. I literally had to watch a sheep's heart get dissected so I could watch the 1970s film Alien. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, and see, the rest of us were just like, yep, yeah, nope. Uh, you either gotta watch it and not tell my parents or just wait till I'm older. Yeah, All I right. watched it in my 20s. So, <laughs> great movie. Okay, so. It is a fantastic movie. So specifically, the thing that made me be like, all right, you know, this is what we're doing tonight instead of a game. Pulled up Common Sense. And now Common Sense is not run by focus on the family. They're a little less more picky. like a little less picky. Yeah. They're they're just like a nonprofit. They do all kinds of media. Yeah. That's um, the one you went to when you wanted to see something and we're like they're going to be a lot nicer about it than yeah. Uh, and I, I remember plugged in, plugged in being like slightly unreasonable at times. Plugged in yeah. would so, have like an entire conclusion separate from just like listing what was in it, where they would be very judgy about the thing. Like, yeah, well, I'd yeah. need to pull up. Harry Potter older... was a no if you were going to plugged in. It was a maybe if you went to Common Sense. <laughs> Only to like plug in some some uh, older games that we would have asked about. But anyways, the first thing I was, it was Skyward Sword on Common Sense. Um, okay. <laughs> and what stood out to me is, um, you know, you've got the, the content boxes and it's like, okay, positive message. I do like Common Sense is like, in their like five star rating thing, that's positive messages, violence, consumerism, positive role models and representation, sex, substances, ease of play and language. It's a little, it's more in depth than just content. It's just like, would would your kid like this? It's turned out to be a good, I actually legitimately like this is like a, you know, you're just trying to evaluate things for kids. And so, but, you know, kind of what you would, what you'd expect, like Zelda gets a three for consumerism because of the amiibo thing. <laughs> um, That's right. They have consumerism rankings, which is always just hilarious to me. Yeah. Uh, they do get a whole four for positive role models and representation. Yeah, Zelda's which, great in that which game. Which is interesting. And then a two for language. Is a two for language good? Well, it's two out of five. Like, um, you want a low score on that one? Well, it depends on what you're looking for. And this is a two for toilet humor. Uh, so I guess humor. like a a one is not very present? 
Yeah, like, not, as it goes up. Okay, so okay. it's like difficulty level, not like yeah, we're yeah, yeah. This two two out of five is like not much language. Five out of five is like right. Okay, yeah, a lot that's of language. What I meant. So uh, positive role models, it got a four because Link can be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he attacks out of necessity. Um, lack of racial adversity and skin color. That's what they got dinged for. Yep. So famously. You know, hey, diverse Zelda series. They have all sorts of different creatures that aren't even human. How diverse is that? Yeah, well, it's about representing like actual people. Like oh, if you well, if I you're mean, a little, a if are you're there, a little, you are know, there black people kid, in? Yeah, if are you going to see Link? It, Link is like a sky fairy. Moving okay, on. we're we're going <laughs> to move on and not get into like a representation <laughs> conversation right now because that's like we got a, heavy enough last week. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the bit that, that stood out that I wanted to read off, at the bottom box, they have this talk to your kids about section, and there's one where it's like, you can talk about violence in video games. Is the impact of violence in Skyward Sword affected by the inclusion of blood as a part of combat? Do you think the impact would be lessened if there wasn't blood shown? Why do you think the developers included blood as a result of doing battle? Blood so in Skyward Sword? Uh, Apparently, let me just look at their content. Like I have not violence. come across it yet. Maybe in like a boss fight, someone <laughs> bleeds. Usually, it's just yeah. Like it, the classic. It, it mentions Zelda games don't bleed. It it mentions there may be cries of pain by Link and fallen enemies, but no gore and oh, little okay. blood. Well, I recently encountered these enemies that have electric weapons, and so since it's motion controlled, they'll block to the left, and if you accidentally hit that sword. Link goes ah and gets electrocuted. So he definitely, <laughs> definitely cries in pain a lot in my game. Because yeah. those are <laughs> but their second bullet point here is: is remastering older games for newer hardware lazy on Nintendo's part? Since much of the work has already been done already, is Nintendo simply recycling content to make more money, or is yes. this a smart move because a good game is a good game that should be played over the years and it should be updated and enjoyed by new audiences? Also, yes. Do they have this question for every HD remaster released in the past five I to ten years? No idea. <laughs> but I just appreciated that common sense just Flat talk out. to your kids about this and that, and then they just they go in like that. Uh, unfortunately, common sense does like stop you after three reviews unless you like keep reopening new Chrome tab and, and they want you mode. to subscribe. Yeah, so I just would like make a new incognito window, close it, like to refresh my free article counter. Oh, and I guess also it's their category is games and apps. So like that gets polluted. But like yeah. let's look at a random can, page. Oh, they did have the media, which is like on the complete opposite end of uh content. Same yeah. kind of blocks. And then the talk to your kids about it's like you can talk to your kids about horror as entertainment. Is it fun to be scared? Like, you know, what do you think? And then talk to me about it, Jill. Yeah, that's a personal question. Sometimes it's fun. <laughs> it's Mostly not, it's, it's not. <laughs> this one isn't quite like something particularly great in this review other than I do like that they have a block called Is It Any Good? Like they evaluate the quality of the game. That is nice. They inter they review a lot of uh Did they do Death Stranding weird stuff? I can type in Death Stranding and see. 
Did yeah. Focus on the Family do Death Stranding? Oh, hang on. They I'll answer that. might actually have. Um, so if we look at Death Stranding, if I'm not out, uh, I'm out on the session. So I'm going to go back to my Focus on the Family set of tabs because they don't limit this. So is that, would that give, um, what common sense media or whatever that site is called, would that give it like a, a four on consumerism? Cause yeah, monster? they want you to subscribe. But <laughs> is this going to have an interactive element or are we all just like discussing this as a concept? We're just discussing this as a concept. There is, I wasn't going to try to like shoehorn it because the whole point was just to read this stuff out. So I'm going to try to shoehorn a, a game into it. I mean, you're all welcome to like pull these up on your own browsers. Oh, I am. I'm, I'm trying mean, to find Because we know much... you all have like three tabs open. So <laughs> I tried to listen <laughs> to you describe it, Joe. Assume I stopped at three. Uh, but the, the focus on the family code. website, all of their reviews released lately have been written by Bob Hoos, who his claim to fame is a writer and producer for Adventures in Odyssey. Which if you so don't if know what that is, that, I can't, we don't have the time to explain that to you. Yeah, we don't have to go into that. But just for the people here, like, we listened to that as kids. So one of the guys who helped write that is now their primary game reviewer who does surprisingly good reviews for like what yeah. i remember the site I'm being kind of impressed so far like he does a review of super mario golf rush that's pretty like standard you know it's a golf game you know and he's just like yeah you can play with your friends it's whatever and then he reviews resident evil village and his opening line is this isn't your grandfather's resident evil game <laughs> and also the picture of Bob Hoos is like he's our dad's age so just like I just want to picture like plug in one of our dads as like the, the guy doing all the reviews for plugged in he does actually manage to do like a whole three sentences on positive content in Resident Evil Village it's just that you're trying to rescue your kid he was like that's that's the one like positive content but the rest of it is like pretty objective it's pretty short he doesn't even talk about tall vampire lady i found yeah he just is like yeah there's no code that unlocks it (laughs) okay he's just you know this game's kind of bad it's not like you know he mentions there's some dark mystic spiritualism but he's not like you know, this game doesn't acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, so therefore it's bad. He just mentions that there's like I, I like the consumerism content. part where it's like, this is part of a series that has toys and other items, so therefore <laughs> He also never explicitly says like don't let your kid play this. Yeah. I that's He a- gets to the bottom. And he, I think he says the ESRB says that for him. <laughs> I guess. But <laughs> says discerning adult gamers should definitely keep that reality in mind before diving in themselves, and parents of younger gamers should be forewarned. That's I, I have noticed with them over the years. They almost never say outright what they want you like what they want your takeaway to be. They're like, "We'll leave it up to you," but it's a very midwestern kind of like passive aggressive like. I'd think twice before I let my kid play that game or watch that film. 
But I'm not going to tell yeah. you how to live your life. He's, he's harsher on re- on Hitman 3 in terms of content. You are like, a hitman. You're killing real <laughs> you're killing people. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, they are people that are part of a shadowy uh, government or, or a shadowy organization that's bent on controlling world governments. So, like, it's the same kind he of goes in. The real problem with the Hitman series from, like, an ethical perspective is it reminds you of something that we all try to forget, which is that killing people and murder is fun and a good family bonding pastime. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Like he talks about in the the positive content that like basically says, yeah, this is a fun game. Like it's super well designed. Like your missions can be really quick. They could take long depending on your strategy. Like sounds like he had fun playing this game. And then his his summary is, it's easy to look at Hitman 3 and proclaim that it's a well-made game. And there are quite a few strategic challenges here that other games can't come close to. But the positives are quite frankly complicated and compromised by the game's deadly premise and the execution of it. (laughs) Hitman 3 focuses on skilled assassination. And you can even go so far as to say that this game is a virtual murder simulator. Really? Hitman is a virtual Hitman 3 may not have as many graphic content concerns as most M-rated games, but meticulously rehearsing assassination probably isn't how most parents want their kids investing their time and creative energy. Also, holy cow, I thought Bob Hoos was like a recent pickup. I pulled up their Assassin's Creed 2 review. It's Bob Hoos. It's still Bob. Like, Bob's just been quietly reviewing games for, like, the last ten years. <laughs> he reviewed Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood. <laughs> what did he have to say about that, Dylan? I don't know. I gotta find the piece of code in the HTML that lets me see it. <laughs> because I've used my three. My three also, articles. this is much more of their, like, old style of, like, kind of judging. Although this is still, like, their Assassin's Creed 2 review is not, uh... No, wait, this is Assassin's Creed 3. Hang on. Not that it matters don't, that much, but yeah, you don't know. get it twisted. Okay, Assassin's Creed Two. Not she came joke. out. No, no, it's still Bob Hoos. <laughs> Maybe that's just a pen name. This this guy is maybe everybody dedicated that to these his craft. Is Bob Hoos. It's all put under his name. They just use his uh, yeah Adventures in Odyssey cred <laughs> to legitimize their site. Yeah, it's like. Amy McAdams or whatever, but when she publishes her review, it's Bob Hoos. Joe, do you have a conclusion we're driving to on this? No. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're just experiencing this together. Yeah. We're just vibing. We're just we're just chilling along for the ride. Well, Dylan, if there's, you found Werewolf. Yeah, there's there's surprisingly zero mention about him, like Cahal, the the main character being an eco terrorist. I'm not seeing that anywhere. And I would have thought they would have gotten some points in the consumerism because that's very anti-consumerism to be <laughs> maybe it, an eco Maybe it didn't come through in that game. <laughs> but instead, the consumerism is that it's based on a long-running role-playing series uh, that has inspired books, games, and TV shows. So, TV interesting. Shows. Yeah, I'm not sure which TV shows those are. Uh, yeah, you're going to look them up when we get off here, huh? I am. I'm baffled by the idea of... It is a franchise with lots of content for the fans being like a knock 
Well, like, and it's unclear if it's a knock or it's just stating like, if you buy this for your child, they may want more. <laughs> like, Lord of the Rings had three books and a bunch of movies and video games, right? But we like it. It's better than Harry Potter. I mean, objectively, it is, but that's besides the point. Yes. Also, technically speaking, Lord of the Rings is either one book that was split into three, or if we're counting the entire realm of Middle Earth. It's a lot of books, like Silmarillion, and then the Book of Lost Tales, Part One and Two, and then all the other kind of it. I, I you know. Also, so each book a- is broken up into sub books. So, if we want to get really, it's six books in a really set of appendices. No, we we don't want to get really that deep. So, like, either give me one more game <laughs> to close this out, or <laughs> or well, let's a nope. That you handed it off to Dylan. My my role here is done. <laughs> No Can I packs. share my fun fact about Harry Potter? Yes, sure. Share your fun We've fact. That's what we will round it out with. <laughs> gone off the rails. So. I have at least one patient in my nursing home who hates Harry Potter. The character or the like series of books and movies? The series of movies specifically okay. because one of the few reliable channels that will put out decent content will inevitably have a weekend where they just show all of the Harry Potter movies over and over and over and over and over again. So if you are stuck in a room, in a bed, and there's very few things to watch on cable, and one of the good channels is taken over by Harry Potter at least seven times a year, you come to hate Harry Potter. I mean, there's worse things to watch. Yeah, that's true, though. Like um, Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, let's get there's included. Like, there's like eight or nine movies, right, in the original mm-hmm. series. So that's that's like a full day. Yeah, so. but they will like show them on a loop. Yeah, for like a a weekend or like a week straight. I'd rather watch that than Twilight on a loop. So you know, there is that. Tell I your mean, patient it could be worse. <laughs> 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 you could be watching Twilight on a loop. <laughs> Could be I mean, watching uh, all five of the Shrek movies over and over. Yeah, there you go. Hey, at least a couple of those are actually. I was gonna good, say. <laughs> well, you I mean, watch same the first for, one, and you're like, "Oh, this is." I mean, this same for bad. Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah. I'm just gonna say Twilight has Bella's dad, who's at least moderately entertaining, and also Kaystu and Arpats are genuinely great actors. So I, neither of them in that movie series, but they're later so on. good you couldn't even say their real full names. <laughs> Case do and R Pat. They're so good that they're so good that I know them on that kind of nickname basis, and I'm excited to see them whenever they're in stuff. You made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. (laughs) No, look. If you go to the source material, there's nothing of substance for them to do with those characters. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. No, no. I'm not joking. Robert Pattinson is is one of the most interesting actors working right now, and I'm super pumped for his Batman. (laughs) Like, holy crap, Kristen Stewart plays Bella perfectly. Oh, yeah. Bella's just that bland. I did really like Pattinson in, uh, what was that Nolan movie? Oh, uh, um, Tenet? Tenet? Yeah. He's, he also, really he's also really good in The Lighthouse, a movie that, I don't have words for that. It's just weird. It's just weird. Opposite Willem Dafoe. Well, I want to play Back for Blood. Yeah, so let's close this out. All right, well, let's shift gears to something a little bit more serious. I'm just going to say before we close this episode out that 
episode 100 will be the last episode of Level Playing Field, at least for now. After giving it a lot of thought, we have decided to take a hiatus from the show and focus on other things going on in our lives right now. That doesn't mean that the show can never come back, but right now it's ending for the foreseeable future. I'm sure I can speak for everyone here at Level Playing Field when I say thank you to anyone who has listened, commented, retweeted, liked, reviewed, and especially supported us on Patreon. It means so much to know that this little passion project has reached so many people around the world. Video games are cool, and we're going to continue enjoying them off mic and off camera. Thanks again for any and all support. We are going to leave the social medias up. We're going to leave the Discord running, at least for the foreseeable future. Um... Episode 100, we have one more episode between now and then. Do any of you guys have anything you want to say here, kind of just briefly? Because I feel like episode 100 is really going to be kind of like that final, like retrospective thing. But, you know, if you want to tag anything onto that, that little blurb I just did now is now is the moment. I will be ready for whenever we come back. (laughs) It's been a fun time and I'm sure... Yeah, as we get into episode 100, we'll talk more about that. But yeah, no, it's some things just got to end. You know, some things just got to have their natural conclusion. So, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Like Caleb said, we'll talk more about it uh, probably in episode 100. We'll so, we'll play the yeah. song from Fast and Furious 7. You know, it's been a long <laughs> day. We'll, we'll play the Caleb cover. Yeah. That way we won't get, uh, you know, DMCA takedown. You know, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll learn yeah. it on the ukulele before we. Uh... We'll get Braden to play it on the automaton. <laughs> <laughs> but that does raise another good point. The podcast isn't going away. Like the episodes will always be there. You can always go back, check out the. It's more than a hundred because we have bonus episodes too, but. The the feed will still be there. The episodes will still be there. And yeah, there's nothing saying that we can't pick it up again at some point in the future. But just right now at this point in time, it's time for it to end. Episode 100 felt like a pretty natural spot to do that. At this point, when this episode releases, you'll have noticed that the Patreon has already shut down. So again, we just we appreciate anybody and everybody out there that has supported us in any way from just a like to a listen to supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much. And with that, I just want to say thanks for checking out this episode of the Level Playing Field podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Again, go check out our website, levelplayingfieldgaming.com, where you can find all of our socials and our YouTube channel. And if you want to write into the show directly, feel free to shoot us a message on social media or email us at lpfgamespodcast at gmail.com. Maybe if you have some memories or anything that you want to throw out there in these final couple episodes... A big thank you to my co-hosts, Dylan, Caleb, Joe, and Aubrey, and an even bigger thank you to our listeners. We sincerely appreciate your support. Now say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Goodbye. Adios. Adios.